have a seat. And welcome, that's our prayer, that where God leads us, we will go. So if you're new, we're at restoration, and if you don't have a seat, you will in a couple minutes. Um, we'll send some smaller people out, so just sit tight. Um, we had a phenomenal Christmas time, uh, Christmas, New Year's, or Christmas celebration, so if you were with us, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, first one's out of the way, that feels pretty good. And, um, but, you know, Christmas, for me, Christmas and my birthday and New Year's, they're all kind of smacked together in a week. So it's, depending on wh- where we're at, who we're with, and what we're doing, it could just be one big party, like celebration, which it kind of was. But beyond the time of celebration, like this time, one of the reasons I love it is it's a time for newness and new life and joy and literally um, a new year. But one of my friends gave birth on Christmas Day. Uh, We got to do youth ministry five years ago together, and I still kind of keep in contact. So she posts this picture on Christmas Day um, of her and her new baby. And some of you know my friend Allison. But literally, uh, it's not just special that she was born on Christmas. She was born in Honduras, and her sister-in-law was the midwife. And I say midwife because I don't think she's actually like a midwife with a degree. I'm pretty sure she's not a doctor. And they didn't go to a hospital. Uh, They just had her in their village. And I started thinking about like, and this is how they got the weight, the exact weight here. They put her on a little scale. I don't know, like six and a half pounds. We'll call it good. But, But that just got me thinking like, what if something went wrong? And would they have had a hospital to go to? And what if her sister-in-law didn't really know what to do? Would they have gotten the needed care they needed? Well, that really caused me to see the, the birth of Christ in a whole new way. Like, Mary and Joseph are in this cave, stable thing. They might not have had a midwife. They probably didn't have a doctor there. What if something would have gone wrong? Would they have gotten the needed care? Would anyone have helped them? And it just made me like see the, the Christmas story in a whole new light, like how miraculous this birth was, let alone that it was God as a human. And so we put these mirrors up to remind us that like in the start of a new year, it's really a time to reflect. And so normally, whatever normal means, we've had like less than 10 services. So if you're new, we're, we're new too. Um, But normally we have like a little meet and greet time and we're going to kind of switch that up a little bit today. But I'd really like you to look at, you have some sheets in front of you. Um, One's a big eight and a half by 11 if if you're older. Um, And and then there's some post-it notes if you're a little younger. And so what I'd really encourage you to do uh, before we dismiss the kids is to just pause and say, God, what do I have to be thankful for in 2010? last year. What can I thank you for? This is one of the ways that we worship God is to sing songs to him or about him. But another way we worship God is to thank him for what he's done. And so uh, if, if, uh, if you're an older person that needs to help a younger person tear off a few of those post-it notes, um, so children, you can write some things down. Adults, you can write on your big piece of paper. Um, But just take a couple minutes and write. Uh, We're going to have a little bit of instruments come up, and then Mike is going to tell us what we're supposed to do with those things. So let me offer a prayer as we get going into this activity, into this way to worship you, God. We worship you this morning. We worship in song. We also worship by thanking you 
for what you've done. Uh, We thank you for the gift of life, for new life, new life in babies, new life in people who say yes to you. God, I think of um, just a few weeks ago, uh, the gentleman who said, God, today is a new day for me to, to start my walk again with you. It's new. I thank you for second chances, for, for literal restoration. God, and I thank you for uh, a new year, for a new year for restoration as we begin our, our first year of full life. As a, as a community, as a people. God, but I thank you for what we just sang about, that we'll follow you, God, that, that you're the creator, that you and your mercies, like you say in the Bible, are new every morning. And so, God, we thank you that today is a day for us to begin with you, again, for those new mercies. So, God, I pray that those memories of 2010 and those things that we have to be thankful for will just flow onto this papers right now, that that could be another way that we give you worship this morning. So we do that right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and write some. Thanks, Mike. Well, uh, another reason why I love vacation or Christmas time is that between Christmas Day and today, actually, um, I always try and get, steal away some time, steal away some time to reflect on um, just like turning another year older, but what what went well in the year? What do I have to be grateful for? What do I have to, um, do I have any regrets? Um, what what do I want to look forward to in the next year? And that is has become one of the most precious, precious times for me. And I even heard it this morning, um, but, you know, when we take some time off or away, we often say, oh, I've got to go back to the real world. Um, oh, I got to get back to normal. But, you know, somebody posed a question to me like, well, what if, what if vacation is the real world and our hectic, overscheduled work, 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 work is the artificial world? And I just started thinking about that, and I'm like, huh, maybe that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> but, uh, but I think when we stop and we actually take that time away, that time to reflect, that time to get a greater perspective, we start asking these bigger, bigger questions of life. Um, and I think our, our New Year's resolutions innately are connected to these big questions of life. For example, um, someone's New Year's resolution, I resolved to lose 20 pounds. Okay, uh, if that's your resolution, then I would, I would ask you, you know, did God create us or make us to be skinny? Or um, I resolved to work out more. I'd say, well, do you think that, that we're here to, you know, be buff? I hope not. <laughs> Um, you know, oh, I resolved to read the Bible every day this year. Okay, well, you're only one day behind. Um, but, but then that would presuppose maybe that, that we're made to know the God that reveals himself in the Bible. And so it really does beg the question of why are we here or what are we here for or did God create us for something? I guess that presupposes that there is a creator that he did create. Um, if there wasn't, if we just randomly happened by chance, then, then I would say that um, then we really wouldn't have a purpose. We would just kind of exist. Everybody would be seeking their own way. I'd say if we weren't created, uh, then we wouldn't probably have a moral code. So when we saw um, uh, a murder on television 
or, or heaven forbid, we actually witness one or something like that. There wouldn't be something inside us that would trigger and say, oh, that is, that's awful um, if we weren't created. But if we were created and there was this creator being, then, then that creator being probably had a purpose for us. Um, and some of us think about that and some of us gloss over it, but have you ever truly stopped to reflect on that? To really articulate that this is why I'm here. Um, and that's what this series in January called Created, um, that's why we're doing it. To discover maybe why, what God made us for. And it will we'll take probably five weeks to do that. Um, and just go through different, um, different pieces of, of why we're here. And so today, um, really ask that question of, are we made for a purpose? Is there, is there a reason that God has us here? And some people would say um, that we're made to worship God or we're created to glorify God. In fact, I, I read um, someone's purpose in life statement that was, well, I'll just read it to you. My life purpose is living for the glory, fame, and exaltation of our great God. Um, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, being satisfied in Jesus, delighting in God, and exalting Jesus are the reason I exist. That's a pretty full statement. It's pretty lofty. And, and while I wouldn't disagree at all, I just think, wow. Um, I, I kind of find myself resonating with, um, with a different person, that I, that I read when I was searching the internet, he, he wrote um, this. He wrote, I was surfing the internet, and, and I came across some Christian websites that say people are made to worship God. So if I understand this correctly, then, then man or woman has no other real purpose than to worship God. So the picture is God sitting on a mighty throne in heaven, and he gets lonely, so he builds little wind-up toys that program them to say, Hallelujah, hallelujah, you're the greatest. On and on. So is this what Christians really think heaven is like? That we just sit around and, and sing or praise, and we don't really do anything else. And he writes, if that was the case, that wouldn't really sound like a lot of fun. If that was the case, I don't think that creator is very imaginative. So somehow I just don't get it. End quote. Um... You know, as much as I disagree with that, I really, there's parts of me that resonate with that. Like, that is a little confusing, and I have had those thoughts before. So it really does beg the question, why are we here? And so a couple of the, a couple of the books of the Bible really try and tackle that question. And they're Job and Ecclesiastes. And so if you have a Bible or you have a phone and you can get on the Bible, um, we're going to look at Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes really asks, why are we here? Uh, so as you're turning to Ecclesiastes, which is like kind of in the halfway point in the old part of the Bible, but the halfway point in the Bible, um, let me just pray. Just pray, God. Um, I say that because we come to you just who we are. We come to you somewhat knowing this question and yet somewhat really seeking this question. Maybe we can't truly articulate why we're here. So we pray that as we read these words uh, from someone older, wiser um, than us when they were written, 
we pray that we would glean some knowledge, that we would, we would not only hear what this writer had to say, but God, that you'd reveal more of yourself to us today, that we can know why we're here. So speak to us, God. Amen. Ecclesiastes starts out in the first chapter, in the first verse, and says, These are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. A lot of people would say that's, that's Solomon. Um, I, I would agree. I don't think it's the end of the world if you disagree. Um, it could be, it could be a, a king who ruled in Jerusalem that was David's grandson or great-grandson, but it's probably Solomon. Um, but the next verse is like kind of the key to the, the book. And that says, meaningless. Everything is meaningless, completely meaningless. Maybe your translation says vanity. Uh, it, it says like, I don't know why we're here. And then he just kind of goes on a, a, a little rant. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and it sets and then it hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south, and then it turns north, and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea's never full. Then the waters return again, and the rivers flow out again. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter what we see, we're never satisfied. No matter what we hear, we're not content. Maybe you feel like that. Maybe there are times that you just say, you know what, it's all meaningless. Christmas presents, they're meaningless because, you know what, they don't even remember in like 30 days what they got. Uh, maybe you think New Year's parties are, are meaningless. Uh, maybe you think education is meaningless. Let's see, I don't know what I want to do. I'm paying all this money, and I hate the test. Maybe you think it's meaningless. So I think if you've been there, you start to go, okay, so if all these things are meaningless, then I'm just going to start trying things. I'll, I'll see if any of these things fit on me as maybe a purpose in my life. Uh, and, and the teacher, as Ecclesiastes describes him, does that. If you go to ver chapter 2, the teacher says, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for good things in life. But I found, too, that this was meaningless. And then the next few verses, he goes on and says, I decided to cheer myself up with wine. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes. Planting beautiful vineyards. Verse 5, I made gardens. I made parks. Verse 6, I built reservoirs. Verse 7, I bought slaves. I owned large herds and flocks, more than any other king who had lived. I mean, this guy is searching and searching. I collected sums of silver and gold. Verse 8, treasures of many kings. I hired wonderful singers, men and women. I had concubines. I had everything a man could desire. I became greater than anyone who'd lived in this town before me. And wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found the greatest pleasure in hard work, reward for my labors. But, verse 11, as I looked at everything I'd worked so hard to accomplish, it was all meaningless, like chasing after the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile. I mean, if, if there isn't a Hollywood actor or actress out there that couldn't agree with that, we see it so often on TV. 
seeking after these things, accomplishing, having so much, and all of a sudden they come crashing down or, or they commit suicide or they have affairs because the things they've been searching for don't provide happiness even though they have tried everything. I think maybe on a smaller scale that happens in our own lives. We seek after some things and, and they don't really work and we try something new and it doesn't really work and we try something new and, and it doesn't really work and and we get to this place where it's like, is it, is it worth it? Is this why we're here? Is, is work, and because a lot of it really, I mean, the teacher seems to be saying that work is meaningless. And maybe you feel that way too. Maybe you've worked and worked and worked and feel like you're chasing after something you can't catch. And, and for so many of us, I think it is tied to our work. We wonder if our work matters, if what we do is worth it, if, if we even get paid enough money to buy whatever we want, are we really satisfied? I mean, does it, was I really just made to work? And, and does the Bible really say that work's bad? But, I mean, here it's saying that, but I don't think that's his end point. If you go down to verse 24 in chapter 2, the teacher actually says, so I decided there was nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work because I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God for who can do anything apart from him apart from God see I think we're made for a purpose I think we're made to be connected to this creator that that we call God we're made to be connected to him and really life is meaningless unless unless we figure out that connection or that relationship. The food, the drink, the work, everything this teacher talks about is, is truly meaningless because I don't think he was seeking those things with God. I think he was seeking those things apart from God and so they ended up becoming meaningless. And I think any time that we seek things apart from God, eventually they'll become meaningless. But he's not saying that work is evil. Or meaningless. He's saying find satisfaction in work. And this is consistent with Genesis in the beginning of the Bible. The Lord God in chapter 2 makes, forms a human from the dust of the ground. And he breathes life into that creature, into that man. And he becomes living. It's the only, only, set, or the only picture in the book of Genesis where God actually breathes life. And even though we don't know what that means, it's just saying that he set these humans apart from the animals. He breathes life and he becomes living. And then it says that the Lord placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend it and watch over it. So there's work that God gave this man. He was to care for this creation. So work is good. A guy named Warren Worsby says it like this. Work is an opportunity to use our abilities and opportunities in cooperating with God to be faithful managers of his creation. Once man sinned, work became toil or hard, but it wasn't intended to be that way. So while I would say that work isn't our sole purpose, one of our purposes is to work not apart from God, in connection with him. Not just caring for creation. Um, 
In fact, some of, the, some of the best ways that we can figure out when we're burned out of work, I think, the best ways to, to connect with God is to recreate. I mean, play. It's a spiritual activity. If, if you're young, just remember that. It's a spiritual activity to recreate. The word is recreate. So as we spend time playing or recreating, I think God is reforming us. So while I was on vacation, we like embraced wholeheartedly northern Minnesota. We sledded and I, we blazed a new trail using like a, a snowmobile uh, sled and, and got it, these huge walls that, that the next day ended up launching me out into the lake and I almost really hurt myself, which wasn't so recreating, uh, but I didn't. And then we went skating and, and my kids... Uh, have only been skating a few times, and, and to see the joy on their faces as they had these sharp metal objects on their feet as they flew into the air and almost cut each other, it was, there was a lot of joy because no one got hurt. Um, and then we went skiing, and my kids had never been skiing, and the first time I went skiing was when I was eight, and so it was kind of nostalgic to have my eight-year-old on skis um, trying this new thing. And it really just reset everything for me. It, it like, I, I couldn't wait to come back. I couldn't wait to celebrate, to be here, to honor God, to worship God, because I had taken that time to recreate, to reset, to recreate. And so God, really, he creates us not just to work, but to work, to manage the earth. And, and he didn't just create us to recreate, but he does call us to recreate, to recreate, to rest, Um. In Genesis, he says, be fruitful and multiply. So he calls us to create, too. Um, but, but then, at the end of Ecclesiastes, and if you want to take time to read it, it's a great book. You can. For sake of time, we're not going to. Um, we're going to skip down to the end and do the Spark Notes version. Um, at the end of the book, in chapter 12, the teacher says, that's the whole story. Here's my final conclusion. Fear God, obey his commandments, for this is everyone's duty. This is what everybody should do. Fear God, obey his commands. Fear God. We're here to worship God. So, like I said, that, that statement that the first person that I read made, true. We're here to glorify God. We're here to worship God. Um, to fear God means to be in awe of God, not be afraid of him, but to honor him. So we wrote things that we're grateful for because that's honoring to God. We sang songs to God, that's in, in honoring him. But when we, when we write things of gratitude or thankfulness, we often do that out of a response. God, I thank you for providing a job for me. That's out of a response. I thank you for... Um, the ability to, to get up and, and to be able to travel here, to have a car. That's, that's out of a response to something. And that's, that's a good thing to do. And, and the Psalms are filled with thankfulness. But the Psalms are also filled with praise. Praise is different than thanks. Thanks is thanking God for something he's done, but praise is, is praising him for who he is. And that's a little bit harder. Praising God for his attributes. 
When was the last time you praised God for, for his mercy? Or praised God for his wisdom? Or praised God for his knowledge? This, this is harder, but yet this is something that God wants us to do. He wants us to praise him. And, and some people say, well, th- you know, are we really just wind-up toys? No, because we're choosing to do that. We're choosing to understand more of God's attributes, and, and that should invoke this awe. In fact, I, I would say to you that if, if God doesn't invoke a little bit of awe, a, a holy fear, then maybe we don't know him very well. Because the more I get to know God, the more I become in awe of him. When I have stood on mountains in Colorado and looked at the size and scope of sheer creation, seeing four states, I am in awe of God. When I sat on my back in northern Minnesota hundreds of nights growing up because we didn't have very many city lights and stared into the millions and millions of stars in the universe, I was in awe of God. When I watched my own kids being born or see the miracle of a new birth, I'm in awe of God. When I, when I have gone on retreats um, and sat with people who've, who've shared their personal encounters with divine things with God, I am in awe of him. When I read horrific and heroic stories in the Bible, I become more in awe of God. And if you have your own, I would just ask you to take a second and and write those things down. God, when was the last time you just took my breath away? Because thankfulness is good, and and I want to do more of that individually. If if you do too, there's there's easy ways to do that. But, But praise to be in awe of him, that also takes this attitude of cultivating. And so, and so to have this honoring God of, of what, what we can praise him for, um, like I said, that, that takes some cultivating. And so I thought about what that meant for me. And what I, what I figured out, what I kind of felt like God saying to me is, uh, for me, that's total surrender. Romans 12 says it this way. Um, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. For this is true worship. So to offer is a giving, it's a choice. For me, I have to choose that. Uh, to offer my body, the, what the writer, I think, is saying is not just a part of me, but all of me. And the fact that it's a living sacrifice means that every day I have to choose to give God my decisions and my will and what I want. Um, My hopes and dreams for my life, my hopes and dreams for for restoration as a community, I have to put those down to God and say, God, it's what you want in my life. And and maybe you're not there and that's okay. I just, I wanted to let you know what what God was kind of stirring up in me. Maybe he's stirring something similar in you. But we're made for a purpose. Yes, we're made to honor God and to worship God. But we're also made for this holy work that's connected to God. And we're made to create and to recreate. And to honor him ultimately means to make our lives 
revolve around God, to put him at the center of our world. That's why one of our values is Christ-centered. Because it says, it, it, it just agrees with the scripture that says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to God apart from me. So what will 2011 look like for you, for us? There is a question in, in the back of that sheet, if you can look there. I believe it's number seven that says, when was the last time that God took your breath away? On these last three sheets, we have what's called the spiritual audit. Uh, the worship team is going to come back up and play a couple songs. And I just encourage you, because if you're like me, it's like, oh, I have the best intentions of doing this later in the day, but it probably won't happen. So let's just take a few more minutes and, and read through these. And I encourage you to honestly circle yes or no, because that, when, I, when I've done it before, it's hard to circle one or the other. It's like I'd really like to just put an X between maybe, make my own one. Ah, sort of yes, but sort of no. Just really ask yourself. Nobody's going to look at it. We're not going to have you put it on the wall. It's just a chance to say, hey, right now, where am I at in this idea of honoring God, in this idea of, of really having this holy reverent awe of God, to understand how work fits into my life, um, to understand what it means to rest, to recreate, to recreate, to create. Um, so we're going to take a couple minutes to do that, and then we're going um, to sing praise and, and go. Uh, so just take a couple minutes right now. You're made to worship. We're called to love. If you need to know that you're forgiven today, uh, all you have to do is ask. God is waiting with open arms to say, I forgive you. So if you need that today, know that, that you're forgiven, that his mercies are new in 2011, just like they've been new for 2,000 years. And so as you go today, may you go as a living sacrifice, offering yourself to God, and this is true worship. Let's worship him with our lives all week. Uh, see you soon. Thanks.